a multiverse of infinite Earths. On the world called Earth 2, the heroes banded together to become the Justice Society. Meanwhile, on Earth 1, the heroes formed a similar group called the Justice League. Each year, the members of these two legendary teams meet to confront a new crisis. We explore these exciting team-ups in... The Justice Society presents Crisis. Hello, and welcome to the third episode of Justice Society Presents Crisis, our podcast covering the classic team-ups between the Justice Society of Earth 2 and the Justice League of Earth 1. My name is the Irredeemable Shag, and I am one of your hosts. Along with me is my co-host, the Earth 2, Rob Kelly. How you doing, buddy? Shag, I gotta ask you, if firefighters fight fire and crime fighters fight crime, what do freedom fighters fight? <laughs> they fight freedom, of course, Rob. <laughs> Sorry, that was a little little quote from George Carlin at the top of this episode. I, I, <laughs> credit where credit's due. Well, yes, we are here to talk about the Freedom Fighters, which is, of course, led by Uncle Sam, which is what led us to cover this story on this release day of July 4th. Happy Independence Day uh, here for everyone here in the States. Happy Independence Day. Enjoy your long weekend, everybody. Exactly. So everyone should go watch the 1997 movie Independence Day with President Lone Star and, uh, and celebrate <laughs> The <laughs> I don't know that's got away from me. Anyway, yes, we we picked this specifically crossover between the JLA and the JSA because it featured the Freedom Fighters and Uncle Sam, and thought that would be perfect for July Fourth. Specifically, we're covering Justice League of America number one hundred seven and one hundred eight, which is called Crisis on Earth X. Now, Rob, do you know why Crisis on Earth X resonates beyond just these two issues? Well, because apparently it was done in live action at some point. Okay, reading my notes does not count as you oh, knowing the answer to these questions. Okay, well, no, I don't. Then I don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> yes, the Arrowverse, which was four shows at the time: Arrow, Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, and Supergirl, all teamed up for. I, it took me a minute. Uh, all teamed up for a big crossover uh, back in 2017, where they kind of very, very, very loosely adapted Crisis on Earth X for a big crossover event. So it was, it was super fun. The, the gist of it was there, you know, like here, there's Earth X and it's a parallel world run by Nazis. Uh, there, the lead Nazis are the evil Nazi versions of Supergirl. I don't, I guess I don't need to say evil when I say Nazi, do I? The Nazi versions of Supergirl, Green Arrow, and then the reverse flash. It's, it, it does exactly what you want from a superhero thing. It, it like, it all features around the, in the beginning in this wedding, like, uh, Barry Allen and Iris West are getting married and they get, and the wedding party gets attacked by Nazis and all the superheroes just start kicking ass. It is like exactly what you want from a superhero wedding. It's like, yes! Um, the overall premise is the Nazis of Earth, uh, X are trying to take over Earth One and all the heroes of the Arrowverse team up and they fight the Nazis across four episodes, jumping back and forth between Earth One and Earth X. So, I mean, there's not a lot of parallels here, but the Freedom Fighters show up, which we'll talk about a little bit later. And it's pretty darn good. It was a lot of fun. Do you remember the quaint old days when there were only four superhero shows on the CW network? <laughs> That's how we got, that's how we got Christ on Earth X and then, uh, then Christ on Earth and everything else. Oh my gosh. All right, well, before we go down the rabbit hole of talking about the Arrowverse too much, we should probably take a second to thank our sponsors. Folks, this episode of Justice Society Presents Crisis is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. What'd you bring, buddy? Uh, well, there's a uh, sadly uh, small uh, amount of Freedom Fighter-related stuff available on Insuck Trades at the moment, which is too bad. So I went with just an Earth 2 thing, which is the All-Star Companion Volume 3 
from Tomorrow's. It's, of course, Roy Thomas's book. The cover is by George Perez uh, doing a Woo-hoo. gloss on the classic cover to JLA number 21. And it just features uh, interviews featuring uh, and artwork by Joe Kubert, Carmen Infantino, Neil Adams, Joey Ordway, Murphy Anderson, Alex Toth, Nick Carty, Gil Kane, Gene Cullen, Michael Bear, Mike Sikowski, Dick Dillon, Joe Staten, and more, which is unbelievable. Uh, 224 pages, normal price, twenty six ninety five, and stock trades price, only $16.17. That is 40% off. So, you know, we love these Tomorrow's books. Uh, they're always super fun, chock full of info, even for people who feel like they know the stuff backwards and forwards like me. So check it out, All-Star Companion, Volume 3. That's the only volume of the All-Star Companion I actually have. It's a good one. They're all really entertaining, and uh, you said you, they're totally worth the cover price, especially when they're only it's only $16.17. Awesome. Well, I picked, uh, because I got to pick first, quite honestly, folks. Um, you stole the best one. <laughs> I picked the Quality Companion Soft Cover. This is another uh, Tomorrow's book that looks back at the Golden Age quality uh, characters. You know, Uncle Sam, Phantom Lady, Black Condor, The Ray, Human Bomb, Doll Man, as well as Plastic Man, the Black Hawks, all those folks that uh, DC absorbed. Talks about the golden age of them, the 1970s revival, uh, some of the stuff in the 1960s, goes up through the 1990s, up to the current versions at the time of the publication. It's written by Jim Amash and Mike Kuman. Uh, art is, of course, by Louis Fine. Uh, our cover art is by Dick Giordano. It's 256 pages. Soft cover, it normally retails for $31.95, but you can get it for 20% off, so it's only $25.56. So if you have any, even, even a passing interest in the Freedom Fighters or Plastic Man or the Blackhawks or any of these, you know, uh, originally quality characters that dc eventually bought this is definitely worth checking out again quality companion soft cover so for these and all your trade paperback needs please visit instocktrades.com now this episode is also sponsored in part with your help through patreon because you know running the firewater podcast network with so many shows and hosting and all the various things that come with it it takes a, a fair amount of money and when the bills got to be a bit too much we reached out and you guys stepped up to the plate to help us cover the bills and we sincerely appreciate it so folks if you're enjoying shows like jsa presents or any other show on the network really please visit our patreon and rob what's that patreon address patreon.com slash fw podcasts and while you're there, please consider supporting the Firewater Podcast Network. And at certain tiers, you'll get mentioned on your favorite Firewater shows, just like these folks that asked to be recognized on Justice Society Presents. So our thanks to Keith G. Baker, Ted Kilvington, Joe Tonello, Joshua Romano, David Ace Gutierrez, and Gord Tolton. Again, just visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. All right, let's get into this, Rob. Justice League of America, number 107. Cover date is September slash October, back in that bi-monthly schedule, 1973. I was just a wee lad of one years old. It is called Crisis on Earth X by Len Wein, Dick Dillon, and Dick Giordano, with a cover by Nick Cardi. And here's my favorite part of Justice Society Presents Crisis. It's time, Rob, to call the roll, call the roll, call the roll of the Justice League. Ba, ba, ba. Batman! Uh, Green Arrow, <laughs> same voice. Batman, Green Arrow, Elongated Man, and Red Tornado. All right, and then the role of the Justice Society is Doctor Fate, Sandman, and Superman, of course, of Earth Two. And making their first appearance in a comic book in something like three decades, the Freedom Fighters, uh, where they will now be known, Uncle Sam, the Ray, Doll Man, the Black Condor, the Human Bomb, and the Phantom Lady. Woohoo! All right. Um, well, this thing was on sale July 5th, 1973. And here is your recap, folks. The JLA and the JSA are preparing for their yearly get-together using their new matter transmatter, which is basically just a big metal box, which kind of reminds me of Calda Hobbs' transmogrifier. But, yeah, maybe that's just me. 
Uh, because Rick Tornado secretly snuck into the transmitter when he wasn't supposed to, things just don't go right. And none of the heroes show up where they're supposed to. Instead, they've been transported to another Earth where they are immediately attacked by tanks bearing Nazi swastikas. What? But these aren't any old Nazis. Their weapons seem to have super advanced powers, and they knock around our heroes pretty good until they're rescued by a team of superheroes, the Freedom Fighters. Their leader, Uncle Sam, explains that on this Earth, the Nazis won World War II, and they're the last surviving superheroes still fighting the power. Now, to mollify the population, the Nazis came up with some sort of mind control device, and the Freedom Fighters had developed an immunity to that, so they will not relent. The JLA and the JSA, of course, agree to help the Freedom Fighters defeat the Nazis, because Earth 2 Superman loves punching Nazis. And Dr. Fate uses his powers to find the source of the beam that projects the Nazis' hypno-ray. Now, several places around the globe appear, so the heroes split up to search, leaving Red Tornado behind to coordinate. Batman, Dr. Fate, the Ray, and the Human Bomb head to Paris. Now, atop the Eiffel Tower, the four heroes find the machine sending out the beam. It looks more like a giant robot, uh, one that creates four Moldorama-like creatures to dispatch the heroes. The the Moldorama creature. I thought I'd get a laugh out of Rob. Oh well, the Moldorama creatures are programmed with specific powers to battle specific heroes. So the heroes switch foes, and the Moldorama bad guys are quickly defeated. Then the machine mentally paralyzes our heroes, but somehow their own subconscious heroic reflexes drive them to still destroy the machine while they're hypnotized. Yeah, I don't get it either. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem to make a difference because everyone is still under mind control. Meanwhile, back on Earth 1 and Earth 2, the remaining JLAers and JSAers are trying to figure out where their friends went. They begin to wonder, what if they are dead already? Dun-dun-dun-dun! The world's least exciting cliffhanger because we already know they're not dead. Yeah, I thought that myself. All right, Rob, why don't you take us from there? All right, so yeah, this picks up with the very next issue with Just League of America number 108, cover date of November, December 1973. 13 Against the Earth by the same creative team, Lynn Wein, Dick Dillon, and Trick Dardano, uh, with, again, another cover by uh, uh, Nick Carty. It's on sale August 2nd, 1973. The JLIers and the JSAers continue to scour Earth-X in search of the hypno-ray machines, and it's this issue opens with Superman, Dollman, Grinnell, and Phantom Lady in Japan. It's awfully nice for Superman not to point out that these three really don't help him out. Much, much <laughs> uh, but like what happened in the previous issue, the heroes defeat the Nazis and destroy the machine, but nothing seems to happen. Meanwhile, Black, Cor- Black Condor, Sandman, Uncle Sam, and the Elongated Man are in Mount Rushmore, which now features the addition of Adolf Hitler. And the same thing happens. It takes Ralph to figure out what's been going on that the machines themselves are mirages generated by yet another machine somewhere else. Our heroes then discover that that machine is hidden inside the giant Hitler head, which Uncle Sam smashes to bits. Woohoo! The heroes regroup, the JLAers and the JSAers start to think it's the Freedom Fighters who've been the beneficiaries of all the energy dispersed in the machines. This, of course, leads to a giant fight. Red Tornado figures out that his comrades have fallen victim to the Nazis' hypno-ray and takes off to find the source of the ray, a Nazi satellite in space. Reddy heads in, where he meets... Adolf Hitler? Reddy punches Jeff Fuhrer in the face, knocking his head off, showing that this Hitler is merely an android. Turns out, a giant sentient machine was behind the whole thing. Reddy then smashes it, releasing the entire planet from the Nazis' grip. The JLA and the JSA leave Earth X, handing it over to the Freedom Fighters to rebuild. Woof, man. I, uh, with that satellite, you feeling a little bit of Iron Sky going on there? There is a... This is... It's, we said, I think we say this every episode, but this is like... 50 pounds of story in a 30-pound bag. <laughs> I will say, all right, since, since you brought up 
past episodes. You know, this is our third episode of Crisis. We covered the original, very first JLA, JSA team up. We covered the Legion one, and now this one. This is, out of the three, this is absolutely my favorite. Like, the other two... Oh, I, yeah, sure. The other two I found stuff to love in. You know, it, they weren't my favorites, but again, I found stuff to enjoy. The, this one, like... Every page was joy for me. I love this thing cover to cover. This was an absolute blast. There's a lot to talk about, though. I mean, it moves at a breakneck pace. Um, and there's really no time for any of the social niceties, which I enjoy, but it didn't bother me. And it also, as a backdoor pilot for the Freedom Fighters, who got their own comic book right after this, it mm. worked pretty well. Actually, it's three years later. Was it? Well, yeah. I, guess, I guess 1975. All right. Yeah, it wasn't right after this, but it was certainly intended as, because as I said, this was their first appearance uh, of all these characters in DC, in a DC comic book. This was, uh, they had not, not, Uncle Sam, Phantom Lady, Dominic, none of them had appeared since their own series uh, in the 40s. Now, I don't right. exactly remember when DC bought the quality comics. Now, they, they, they published Blackhawk in the 50s, so I'm guessing they bought them then. And they I, would just, assume, I would assume so, yeah. Yeah, and they just sat dormant on these characters for the longest time. But nevertheless, obviously, this on, yeah, now I realize, yeah, it, it took three years. So obviously, there was a big delay. But on some level, this was meant to reintroduce them into the DCU proper. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, like, it, reading this, if I didn't know better, I would have assumed Roy Thomas wrote this just because it's bringing yes. back all these Golden Age characters. Yeah. So another thing to keep in mind, too, you know, we think about the Freedom Fighters and them fighting in World War II, fighting on Earth-X, all that stuff. This is actually the first appearance of them as a team. Prior yes, to this, right. they were all just individual characters. Um, they did not team up before this. They were not ever working together. Uh, they might have appeared together in a same issue in their own separate stories, perhaps, but yeah. they were not a team. So this is the first time they ever put them together as a team as the Freedom Fighters in 1973, which comes into play in a discussion I'm going to bring up a little bit later. But as far as the covers go, which cover do you like better, 107 or 108? 108, just because it's I'm a sucker for two sides squaring off against each other kind of thing. Really interesting because I like 107 better because I think the composition is a little bit better. I like the, the the smoke coming out of the earth and the, all the heroes up there. Kind of reminds me of the first JLA JSA yep. crossover. Yep. So I, I kind of dig it. I don't know. There's something about Batman, you know, with the cape up, and I don't know. I, I that's my preference is 107. But so can we just talk about how much of a dick the Justice League is to Red Tornado? Oh, they are um, so cruel to him. It's ridiculous. So here's the setup, folks. In the beginning, the JLAers are getting ready to go to Earth Two. And Red Tornado basically says, I need to go with you because I'm stranded on Earth-1. I belong on Earth-2. And Green Lantern, heretofore known as the biggest dick in the room, says, I'm sorry, you can't go. We've tested it on inanimate objects. We've tested on lab rats and humans. So you can't go. What the F? I mean, seriously? Red Tornado qualifies for almost all of those things. I don't understand what he's talking about when he says he can't go. The line about testing on lab animals really raised my eyebrow a little bit. I right. got a real whole uh, brundlefly feeling from from that little line, but but let's let it go. Well, I think it's just a euphemism for snapper car, but um, well, then, then it's okay. <laughs> I thought you might be okay. Yeah. Um, and then later on, Batman says, "All right, everybody, let's split up. Red Tornado, you stay here and act as liaison with a Mystic Crystal Ball. The Android has the Mystic Crystal Ball." Okay. Um, and then the big capper on all of this, and they don't, they don't hang a lantern on this, but I picked up on it. So when they all go to Earth X and Red Tornado's there, the Earth 2 guys are like, oh, oh my gosh, Red Tornado, we thought you were dead. You know, and he's like, no, I'm alive. It's a long story. But if you stop and think about it, 
the Earth One and Earth Two people have been in constant communication on how to build these transmitter booths. They had to work together. They had to share plans. They had to time it. They, they now have some sort of like time-space visualizer where they can talk to each other. They've had numerous conference calls and never once did it come up in conversation. Oh, by the way, that stupid Android of yours is here with us now. Not once. That is horrible. They really, they treat Red Tornado like we treat Max around the Fire and Water Network. It's, just, <laughs> it's not right. It's not, I'm, I'm saying it right now. It's not right. <laughs> um, uh, Superman has probably my favorite line in the thing. Uh, Superman, now keep on, this is Superman of Earth 2. So he was, he fought World War 2. He says, Ratsy, I don't know where you've been hiding all these years, but I cut my baby teeth on skunks like you. Yeah. And he's just having so much fun beating the shaz out of these Nazis. And I just love that. The, well, the Golden Age Superman was way more of a roughhouser yeah. than the Earth-1 guy. The Earth-2 Earth Superman is constantly grabbing people he doesn't like and just shaking them until they confess or give up the information, whatever it is they need to do. I just, I, the, the, the Earth-2 Superman was just not as concerned with uh, social niceties. <laughs> and, you know, that's, kind of, that's a good distinction here because, you know, the Earth-2 Superman visually, there's not much to cue off of there for the reader, but – as far as storytelling goes, yeah, he was – you're right. This one was definitely much of a bruiser. He was a lot faster to action. He wasn't going to put up with anyone's crap. And he also didn't try and take over as like a leader. He just wanted to beat, punch stuff. Uh, in fact, at one point, there's a, there's a machine that says, if you damage me, I will sink Japan. And Superman's like, I am all out of Fs. And punches the machine anyway, which causes Japan to begin to sink. <laughs> Superman's just like, all right, I'm going to go save Japan. Y'all do this thing. It's like, wow, he, this is, you're right. This is very different from the Earth One Superman. I, I, they never say it, but I always got the sense that Dr. Fate was essentially the team leader on the JSA. Just because his really? power. Yeah, just because, like, he always seems to be, I mean, because of his power set, he's always the one who's kind of like, I know what's going on, or let's do this. And Superman is more the, the hired muscle. Go do this, Superman. All right. On Earth One, Superman is, until the Dark Knight returns, Superman is unquestionably the leader of any team. That he's involved in. But to me, Dr. Fate always seems the one who's kind of let's do this because I'm hip to all sorts of things that the rest of you are not because of my magic powers. That's interesting. You know, he, he does always pop out with like the, the plot breaking fix. So there is something to that. Now, I, I always think of Hawkman as the leader uh, back then, but Hawkman's in so few of these. I mean, he's barely right. ever in these things. Um, so we do get a couple uh, shout-outs to other quality stuff. We do get a, a great origin recap for all the, the individual Freedom Fighters. We get a, a little one-panel blip of the Blackhawks and Plastic Man, which is pretty cool. One of the things I do like they show in here, too, the Freedom Fighters are bickering. Just they bicker all the freaking time. And that really becomes a hallmark of the team. Um, you mentioned – I'm glad you mentioned the ongoing series because after reading this, I got so excited, Rob. I went and read the first six issues of the Freedom Fighters ongoing series. Uh, I don't know if you've ever read that before. Have you ever picked up the Freedom Fighters ongoing? The 70s one? Yeah, the 1976 one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a hot mess. Um, it, like, I really enjoyed it, but it was kind of painful in a lot of ways. Like, this was much better than the ongoing series for Freedom Fighters. Like, they're, they just they leave Earth-X and go to Earth-1 permanently because they're bored. Literally, they say, we have nothing to do. So they jump Earths just to find something to do. And they immediately get hosed over by a supervillain, which puts them like on the back foot. So suddenly they're still underground resistance people on Earth One the whole time. And it's, and Marty Pasco and Jerry Conway kept switching, writing every other issue. So like, it's so different every issue. It's crazy. Um, it was fun, but it, it, I have a hard time recommending that series to anybody. Maybe, maybe you feel different. I don't know. 
I, I haven't read them in a long time. The the first issue is was one of the first back issues I ever bought. Uh, I got it in the mail mm. uh, via. I think I like bought it via like one of those ads that you saw in comics. And sure. so to me, it's a beloved issue because it was like one of the first back issues I ever got my grubby little hands on. And, and, and I know I'm sounded down on. It. I mean, there's things I genuinely loved. I wouldn't have kept going if I didn't love it. But um, yeah, and, and by the way, I think the whole reason the Freedom Fighters launched in '76 was because it was a centennial. That seems to make the most sense why they launched it that year. Um, at least that's my take on it. If DC really wanted to be funny, they should have started a book called Freedom Fighters, and then you get the inside, and it's all just tomahawk reprints on the inside. <laughs> that's a deep, deep, deep cut, sir. Be <laughs> listeners of this show get, but still. <laughs> Go over to Treasury Cast if you want to find out what that joke means. <laughs> right. Uh, I got lots of little notes, and then we can get into our feature sections. Like at one point, Batman climbs the entire Eiffel Tower, and if you're looking at the timing of the thing, he must have done it in about 30 seconds flat, which is just hilarious to me. He's Batman. Right, exactly. Um, then issue two, the, the second part, issue, I should say 108, starts with a full-page intro by Uncle Sam. And I freaking love this thing. Because he's, he's like telling these kids about the story of what's happened so far. And he's like, you know, are you sitting down? Are you ready to go? Anyone need to go to the bathroom before we get started? I mean, he's... It's like when Captain America grabs that chair, does the PSA in the Marvel movies. It's a lot like that, actually. You're right. So I just, I love it. You know, uh, let's see. And the rest of us, the rest of us, well, listen close and I'll give you all the details. It's just, I love it. It makes me so happy. He's a natural narrator because he's Uncle Sam. Exactly know? right. Yeah. So I, let me ask you, how do you feel about that? Uncle Sam, uh, you know, whether you tie him to the government in your head or just you, a United States patriotism, how do you feel about him just random, you know, being a superhero, punching people. No, it works. I mean, it's there. It, you know, it works the way Captain America works. Captain America is a representation of an ideal, not a government, not policies specifically. And so Uncle Sam works the same way. So I have zero problem with it uh, at all. And it's, I think he's, it's very charming the way they do it. I like that, uh, that that was the way they chose to do it as opposed to just having, you know, blocks of text is having mm-hmm. the guy tell the story. I think it was a fun way to do it. I think Uncle Sam works very good in this story as fighting Nazis, being the team leader, that kind of stuff. When I got to the Freedom Fighter series and he's just like fighting the Silver Ghost randomly, it, it didn't quite feel as jive as, as as logical. So I like him definitely in the patriotic where where, where, where patriotism is needed. I like that. Mm. Um, now I do tie him pretty strictly, pretty closely to the military though, simply because the the old army posters. You know, I want you. So I have a hard time separating him from the, the government in that aspect. So we get into the, the, the story here where they go to Japan, right, and they're on the mountain, and all the Justice League and Freedom Fighters and Justice Society people are in disguise in parkas. And all I could think is, are you effing kidding me? You've got Phantom Lady in this story, and you cover her with a parka? That's, that's just – that's bad. Bad, bad planning. Why does Superman need a parka? Well, they all get rid of them pretty quick. So I think it's simply to be in disguise because that I was the other so, thing. Yeah. yeah, I was like, again, I was like, come on, Phantom Lady? Really? What? But and Superman and Dollman wasn't because he's so tiny, I guess. Mm-hmm. But. And all right, is it just me or does Dollman and Black Condor's costumes look a little too similar? The, the Freedom Fighters, as much as Phantom Lady is known for how much skin she shows, Dollman and Black Condor show a lot of skin as well. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of flesh on display. And then, then you get... The reverse, the human bomb, where it's just a bunch of just some eyes in a giant uh, uh, jiffy pop suit. But but yeah, the, the freedom the freedom fighters are a fairly uh, you know uh, boobalicious team. Hey, you got 
they, two of the guys beefcake in it, so at least yep. they're equal opportunity there. Yep. So uh, I did notice, weirdly enough, uh, is this the first appearance? And I don't. Uh, I'll finish any one of these sentences. Is this the first appearance of Superman of Earth Two's white temples? Because in the first issue, he doesn't have white temples, by the way. But in the second issue, he does. I didn't even notice that, that he doesn't have them in the first issue. I don't believe so, because he appears in JLA number 72 and 73, and I think okay. he's got the White Temples there. Oh, okay. I think, right. I think that's the first uh, quote-unquote appearance of the Earth to Superman, where they were officially like, that's this Superman. Right. So that was the way they were going to discern it, is that for some reason, Superman, just because he's 20 years older than the other one, has great temples. Like, wow, that was, that was a rough 20 years. <laughs> Um, I, I did love on page 15 when the, when the freedom fighters were fighting the justice leaders, when, when doll man grabs elongated man's nose and he stretches it like two feet long. Mm-hmm. It just, I, I don't know. I just, I laughed hysterically at that. <laughs> I, I, I'm an easy mark. So, mm-hmm. well, why don't we get into our features? Is that All okay right. with you? Yep. All right. So folks, we always have certain uh, features that we do each time. So this time out, the first one is the all-stars. So these are the members of each team, uh, again, JLA, JSA, and Freedom Fighters, that did the best job and deserves recognition. So Rob, uh, why don't you pick a team first and then tell me your pick? Um, I mean, for the JLA, I, the JLA don't get a whole ton to do in this story. Okay. Uh, you know, so to me, it was a little hard picking one of them. I guess... I don't know. I, Batman, I guess, just because he has one of my favorite moments in the whole story. And we'll, that's art related. And we'll, we'll talk about that later on. So okay. I guess I give it to Batman. Um, JSA. Right. JSA. Well, yeah. oh, okay. well, I'll go ahead and do my JLA. I, um, I'm done with my Batman phase. So I mm. went with Elongated Man uh, for, trying, for, for figuring out that the whole computer was an illusion. And That's then true. figuring out where the real computer was. I liked that quite a bit. Now, truthfully, the, the real award, and, and I'm saving this because I know this is your overall favorite moment of the story. That's who really should be getting the award. But anyway. Mm-hmm. All right. Go ahead. Your next one. For JSA, I get Superman just mm. because he's gleeful. I just – how much he's just uh, – like we just talked about, a, a smash him up kind of guy. He's – you know, this is a fairly underpowered bunch of heroes mm-hmm. uh, when you think about it. I mean, Elongated Man, Green Arrow, Batman – it's not, you know, they're not setting their, their, their heavyweights. So you need a big guy. And so I like that Superman, like you said, is, is almost, they didn't do it, but you could almost hear him like cracking his knuckles when he hears this. <laughs> you know, he's just really excited. So that's, I just find him very charming uh, in this story. I agree. I, I was going to give it to Superman, but then I thought, okay, hold on a minute. The whole thing with him saving Japan, which is pretty awesome, is absolutely his own fault. Because literally the computer says, if you touch me, I will sink Japan. And Superman is like, bring it. You know, so I'm like, all right. You know, I, I feel like I couldn't give it to him because he caused his own problems. So I, I nominated Dr. Fate, you know, no surprise, uh, for locating all the locations and all the spells. He, you know, kind of pulling stuff out of the air. So that, that was probably should go to Superman. But I went with, with Dr. Fate. So what about the Freedom Fighters? Who'd you give? Uh, I actually gave it to Dollman because I feel, like, I feel like Dollman – because he's first of all his name doll man i mean man <laughs> but i mean like he can't really do much of the action because you know he's just he's this tiny little guy but i like he figures out the thing with green arrow and like he's kind of off to the side figuring stuff out uh which i kind of like i like that you know they they found a way to like work him in even though he can't be participating in the action because of uh, you know because of his size or whatever so i don't know i just i thought he had some nice moments of sort of he's again not like team leader but he's the one sort of sitting and thinking these things through and so i like that stuff 
He took out one of the computers. So yeah. they, they, they shot him in there and he got tiny and he ripped apart the computer. So that's fair. Yeah. Uh, my vote that went to Uncle Sam, uh, for seeing him like knocking around Nazi tanks. And then for punching the Mount Rushmore Hitler face and smattering, just completely shattering that. I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. So I gave that to, to Uncle Sam. All right, next up is the worst team member. And we're going to go ahead and uh, give it a name this time. We've gotten lots of submissions uh, for what the worst team member title should be. And we're going to go ahead and give it to, it, it's, it's not a huge surprise, but the Johnny Thunder Participation Award. Uh, thank you, Chris Franklin, for the name. Thank you for everyone else that also suggested Johnny Thunder-related names. Uh, I, I realize this is JLA and JSA, but... Overall, it's a JSA podcast. So, Johnny Thunder Participation Award for the worst member. Rob, doesn't matter which team, who had the most boneheaded action? Who's the worst team member? Well, you got to give it to Red Tornado for stowing away and causing all of this. <laughs> uh, I mean, come on. I mean, what, what are you going to do? I mean, now he has my favorite moment in the story later on. Yeah. But nevertheless, he hides in the cube and causes them all to beam to another planet. I mean, come on. Freddy, what are you doing? Yeah, we didn't talk about that really in the recap all the way. Yeah, basically, they tell Red Tornado he can't go. So he turns himself invisible by spinning really fast and hides in the transmogrifier. Which nobody uh, notices. Right. Well, uh, Oliver does say it's windy in here. Windy in here, yeah. <laughs> and that screws the whole thing up, which makes no sense, by the way. Um, I, I was, I had a, that is obviously the worst team ever. Totally agree. But I had a backup just in case you picked that one. My backup was the entire Justice League of America for not mentioning that Red Tornado is alive. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the other worst team ever. <laughs> if I was on a team, I'd be like, screw you, man. Um, all right. The next category is menaces to society because everybody loves the bad guys. What was the best villain moment of the issue? I'll go first this time. It is just the big reveal of the mastery of Dick Dillon when they show the Nazi satellite in space. It is just so badass. I mean, it's Nazis. It's not cool. But it still looks amazing for comic book science. Uh, It's this crazy, crazy, crazy looking satellite out in space with pieces hanging off and swastikas and and just rods sticking up. It's, It's a thing to behold. Uh, what, do you, what do you think? What's the um, uh, what's the best bad guy moment? Yeah, I mean the combination of the Nazi satellite, uh, which is, <laughs> I think that's what the that new Getter app is beaming up to and beaming back down. But uh, <laughs> it, 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 like, yeah, that it's just like they build a Nazi satellite and they put a swastika on the outside of it, They're like branding. It's all about branding here. <laughs> the Nazi. So yeah, you got to go with that. Just the sheer balls of the wall craziness of the Nazi satellite. Yeah. All right. And then finally, our overall favorite moment of the story, uh, again, could be anything in the writing of the art or whatever. I, I know what yours is, and it's, it's mine too, so go ahead. Well, I'm going to do the art first because oh, okay. uh, my favorite moment in the art is actually page is in a, is a page 12 of the first book where okay. Batman is scaling the Eiffel Tower, and uh, the Nazis look over, and they're like, oh, I've gotten Himmel, the bat. And he's like, I'm Batman to you punks. Now, Dick Dillon... I love Dick Dillon. I always will. But he really didn't do a lot of, like, Batman as the Dark Knight mm-hmm. kind of thing. Batman was just kind of one of the superheroes. He didn't do a lot of Batman being mysterious. So when he, when he did, I, I appreciated that. And so they, the way that he draws the cape billowing out and the way the colorist colored it, like, it made – for that one panel, Batman was kind of the cool, scary guy. Hmm. Um, okay. Which you just didn't see much with Dick Dillon. He, he just didn't bother with that. Again, it's not a knock. He just, that just wasn't his thing. Batman was not, you know, despite the fact he was just coming out of the Neil Adams era, 
they just weren't re- drawing them like that in Batman. So when, when they did it in Jelly, I appreciate it. So art-wise, that's my favorite moment because it really stuck out to me. Like, oh, cool. He's kind of really being... Because in the very next panel, they talk about that the Nazis are so flustered, they're shooting bullets through his cape. Right, And he's right. like, that's how he can get up to them because they're just like firing wildly because they're terrible Nazis. You know, I think uh, Dick, uh, Dick Giordano, uh, the inker of the issue, probably, you know, helped to make that look a little cooler. But you're right. It's Dylan's layout, though. So yeah. Dylan's definitely the one who created the pose and everything. So, yeah, yeah it looks sharp. And he, and he looks mean. Like, you know, again, mm-hmm. it looks awesome. I mean, well, he looks like a, like you said, like a, like a Neil Adams. Not, it doesn't look like Neil Adams, but it looks like a Neil Adams era. Batman. Yeah. yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Now, story-wise, the single best element is Reginato punching Hitler's head off. It's absolutely the best. <laughs> because the best thing is he doesn't know that it's a robot. That's true. So he was hitting who he thought was Adolf Hitler with lethal force, which is a appropriate. <laughs> awesome. I mean, yes. that's great. So yeah, there, any story that features somebody punching Hitler's head off, that's the best moment of any given story. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, I, I agree with that. My other, my, my runner up solely because again, I knew you were going to pick that one was the, the whole uncle Sam narrating the introduction issue mm-hmm. too. I love that, but nothing compares with, with red tornado popping Hitler's head right off. Yeah. That's <laughs> marvelous. It's great. All right. So those are the awards. Now we are the, the feature awards. Now we go into just general discussion topics. So every time uh, there's always some indication about the differences between earth one and earth two in these crossers, which got Rob. The closest you get is on page four, where we watch uh, parallel panels of the two flashes uh, beaming the heroes in their transmatter cubes. And uh, there's little, there's just some, some, some uh, uh, captions explaining what you're looking at. Oh, here's the two earths. But that's it. Like, there isn't like a separate panel where they do the thing. You know, this panel, has, this uh, earth has these heroes. This, uh, they, they really skip all that, partly because, again, they have so much story to get to. And comic books were at their one of their lowest page counts at this point, so they they blow by it really fast. They're assuming you already know all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Uh, it, it, it's effective enough, though. I, the fact that they use Flash in each world to be the the, the focal point, I yep. think, is a real good example. Yep. Uh, and then, as far as specific heroes, like you know, I, I sometimes wonder why did they pick certain characters and why didn't they pick others? They pick a, there's very few, really, because they had so many of the the. Uh, freedom fighters they had to incorporate. So you only get three or, f- well, four JLAers, I guess. Okay, let's decide. Is, where is Red Tornado Fall at this point? Is he a JLAer, a JSA? Which one? Oh, he's a JLAer. He joined the team in number 106. Okay, all right. So he, uh, the issue before this, he joins. All right. Only because he's trapped, but anyway. Um, so really. But they induct him, though, so it counts. Well, they. I, I question their decision making, but anyway. All right, but they so, did it. <laughs> so you get Batman from Earth 1, Green Arrow. And elongated man. And then on the other side, you get Earth 2 Superman, Dr. Fate, and Sandman. And I applaud their use of the Earth 2, San- uh, Earth 2 Superman. Because you're right. They re- once you've mentioned it to me, they really do portray him differently than the Earth 1 Superman. So that's really well done. Beyond that, you know, the, I, I don't know that Batman really hung out with the JSA, you know, it, after the revival much. The, the Earth 2 Batman, I don't remember him really being around much no, at all. No, they said he mostly, they mostly sidelined him for Robin and then Huntress. Yeah. So I think this is a, a clever usage of important characters that everyone knows without too much overlap. Uh, and, and the only other thing is there's, there's a lot of JSAers that just don't get included at all. Your Hawkmans, your, you know, Hourmans in the background, Starman, stuff like that. But I, anyway, I, I, the bottom line is I think this is good usage. I think if they'd put two Supermen in there, it would have been too much. Um, they, they don't 
balance each other. Like you said, the JLAers are super underpowered. I mean, Batman, Green Arrow, and Elongated Man. And then the JSA side, you got Dr. Fate and Superman. So they they didn't go for a balance at all, which I think is kind of interesting. So I kind of like that. And then uh, multiversal hijinks. So this is sometimes there's like completely bonkers, multiple Earth stuff going on. And and the one for this issue is the fact that Red Tornado hiding in the transmatter shunts them to a completely different parallel Earth. (laughs) Makes no sense. I mean, it screws up both receptacles, both Earth 2 and Earth 1's receptacles. Makes no sense whatsoever. Also, just the the, the way the writers acted as though getting across to Earth 1 and Earth 2 was – when when you, when it needed to be nearly impossible, it's nearly impossible. And when it's easy, they needed it to be easy. Right. You know? And it's just like they're acting like, oh, I'm trapped here on Earth 2. Superman friggin' carried Black Canary from Earth 2 to Earth 1 so she could join. She's like, oh, I can't deal with my husband being dead. Take me to Earth 1. He's like, yep. Now, <laughs> putting aside what we know about what happened later on. You know, but then it said Richard Andrews like, I'm trapped here. You're not really trapped here. You're really not. Any of these... At this point, a thousand different DC characters have been hopping Earths. You could just figure it out, Red Tornado. I'm telling you, they were hazing him. They were hazing Red Tornado between not letting him go through the transmatter, between making him stay behind, and not telling the JSA folks that he was alive. They are hazing Red Tornado, and I think they need to be held accountable for it. Again, it's like what we did to Max. I'm feeling really bad about this. (laughs) Get over it, man. Come on. Move on. Anyway, um, and then science what? which is another category where we talk about some bonkers comic book signs. I don't know if you have anything for this one. For me, it, there's a scene in Paris where Batman um, – actually, who is it? I, I think it's Batman. Uh, Batman, Dr. Fate – I'm getting there. Okay. Batman, Dr. Fate, the, the human bomb, and the ray all get mentally controlled by this, by this giant machine. After they beat the Moldorama bad guys, which still – oh, there. Finally, Rob laughed. Okay. I laughed the other time. You just didn't hear it. Okay. Uh, speaking of Max, you know. Anyway, uh, so they're all there being held mentally hostage or, like, paralyzed. And then they all just start walking towards the machine in lockstep. Their, their, their feet are perfectly in sync. Their arms go up, and they smash the machine – and the only explanation they have is like, oh, yeah, it was, they just did that by reflex. Yeah. yeah. They were just mm-hmm. fighting the control, and all four of them fought it off exactly the same way in exact unison and destroyed the machine by reflex. What? That makes no sense at all. Yeah. I, well, there's a lot. I mean, the machines just sort of take over. Like, they kind of just, you know, hand wave that. You're like, wait, they built these machines. The Nazis built these machines, and the machine just sort of took over. All right, like they, don't, you know, we don't have a lot of time. To, fine, that's what happened. Let's move on. And they, well, they built, they built robot Hitler. All right, okay, all right. I like the idea that the machines just had enough of the Nazi shenanigans and just said, "We're done with you." And the machines took over, kind of Skynet style. I, I, I like guess, that. Yeah. I guess, yeah. I guess post Terminator, we're all living in that world where, like, we just say, "Oh, Skynet," you know, right, like, right. Oh, that is shorthand for what that could happen. But I mean, it's it. They took over the whole planet. Yeah, it's pretty quick. You know, that's a those are. Pretty sophisticated machines, especially what kind of technology you might have had in like 1950s Earth X, you know, like Texas Instruments level. But okay. <laughs> well, we're anticipating Ryan Daly doing something similar soon. So that's true. So overall, fun issues. I mean, I really, really, really enjoyed this crossover. I'm really glad you suggested it. Uh, it was an absolute blast. It was a hoot. I legitimately loved it. It led me to read more Freedom Fighters. Uh, and so uh, I'm, I'm really glad we had picked this one. Yeah, and they move at a breakneck pace. I did say I wish they could have had a moment of the heroes socializing for a minute, which is, again, always one of my favorite things, or them getting to know the Freedom Fighters, but they just don't have the space, considering you've got 
uh, you know, 12, 13, 14 characters running around and you're setting up the freedom fighters and whatever. So it's fine. You'll, there'll be other issues where they get to socialize more, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's fun breaking up into, into teams is always, you know, a classic JLA sort of move. And the freedom fighters were new characters for most people. I think when I read, I think I had read freedom fighters number one before I read these issues, but they were still pretty new to me, these characters. And even though, I don't know, power-wise, some of them are a little, like, Dollman or whatever. I like the Freedom Fighters. Like, as a bunch of characters together, I like them. They're, they're cool. So it wasn't like the uh, the issues we did with Andrew with the Legion where I'm going, eh, whatever. I like the Freedom Fighters, and so, it, you know, I wish they'd maybe come back more uh, in the JLA because uh, they're, they're fun. They're, they are fun characters. They're interesting. They're an interesting collection as well. Uh, and I, I, although I'm about to make an argument for breaking them up a bit, um, it's, it was a lot of fun. And I, I loved, I love a lot of these characters, you know, they did a big nineties revival of them, which I'll talk about in a second, which gave me a lot of passion for the, the updated versions, but also the classics. So why, why don't I go ahead and get into that, folks? So right now, we're going to do the JSA character spotlight. And this is where we take a second to talk about one of the characters in the comics uh, and, and just kind of talk a little about their history and legacy and what we like about them. I'm going to cheat a bit. I'm going to talk about the Ray from the Freedom Fighters. He is not technically a member of the JSA, but there are a lot of reasons to connect it. So, and honestly, when else am I going to get a chance to talk about him? So, uh, the Ray, his secret identity is Langford Happy Terrell. I didn't know his name was Langford. I only knew him was Happy. First appearance was Smash Comics, number 14, September 1940, and that was published by Quality Comics, and he's created by Lou Fine. And his last Golden Age appearance was in Smash Comics number 40, February 1943. So that means he basically appeared in about 27 issues over two and a half years. And that's it. Two and a half years and he was gone. Uh, and think about the life he's had since 1973 when he came back here. Uh, for the He basically only appeared in Smash Comics for that 27 issues. And then he was in one issue of Uncle Sam Quarterly in 1941. So that's it. Then he joins the Freedom Fighters famously here in these JLA issues. So, real quick origin of powers. Happy Terrell, he was a reporter uh, in New York for the Morning Telegraph. Then in 1940, he joined the crew of Professor Stein's experimental strato balloon. You know, that old chestnut, uh, which was a very risky craft to go up in. And they get caught in a cosmic storm because that happens to people. And Happy was exposed to this weird haze of cosmic light, which imbued him with all these light-based powers. His powers are he can fly along shafts of light. Um, and depending on the story, it's sort of interesting when you read this and the Freedom Fighters, sometimes he literally transforms into light and goes like light speed. Other times he just like almost sort of floats along like a, a, a beam of like if someone took a flashlight and clicked it on, he could float along that light beam. It's, it's a little uh, hit and miss on how they do it. But he can absorb, store, and process pure light. He can create dazzling, dazzlingly strong bursts of, of light. Uh, and he had, you know, uh, basically energy type powers, uh, mostly light. And he could also create illusions and stuff, like solid light constructs and stuff like that, or rendered himself invisible as time went on. Most notable appearances, you know, I, I haven't read the Golden Age appearances, but as you said, Rob, he was pretty much forgotten until the Freedom Fighters brought him back in these pages. So from here, he did these two issues, and then three years later, they do 15 issues of Freedom Fighters, 1976 to 1978. By the way, tip of the hat to Ray, in those issues, he was dating Phantom Lady. Way mm. to go, sir. Then uh, the Freedom Fighters really got a good spotlight in All-Star Squadron, number 32 and 33. They had a big, big focus on the, the Freedom Fighters there. By the way, just a quick plug. Be sure to check out A World on Fire, an All-Star Squadron podcast by our buddies Billy D and Herman. 
I've been listening to this thing. I've been burning through the episodes. It is so good. Uh, I love this thing they do at the end with the Earth Prime archive where they talk about the real world history going on during World War II. I've learned so much. I I feel stupid listening to them. I'm like, oh my gosh, I had no idea this was going on. Anyway, uh, so All-Star Squadron 32 and 33, we get the Freedom Fighters. Then you got to jump forward to the 1990s and you get The Ray, which was a miniseries and then an ongoing, uh, which featured his son, Ray Terrell, but Happy was sort of featured throughout and Many different weird ways. And then there was a series of Freedom Fighters uh, comic books. Uh, Uncle Sam and the Freedom Fighters, sometimes it's called the Freedom Fighters. And, he, and Happy Terrell was in several of those as well. I don't know. Did you, I didn't know if you knew this, Rob. The Freedom Fighters have had a lot of bites at that apple. They have the 1976 series, which for, went for 15 issues. In 2006, they had a mini series for, I think, eight or 12 issues to that. So 2006, 2008, 2010, and 2019, they have tried to publish Freedom Fighters. Five times. Again, some of those were limited series, but that is five freaking times. Uh, uh, did you follow any of these, by the way? Uh, I definitely read some of the 70s one, and I read the first of the newer ones. And then not there's a newer one that looks like it's like a gritty reboot, which is like hard pass. Um, so, yeah, I read I read some of them. Okay. Uh, yeah. So uh, the, what I really want to get into is talking about the Ray, the legacy side of this, because there, there's four different versions of the Ray. There's Happy Terrell, his son Ray Terrell, a guy named Stan Silver, and Lucien Gates. Uh, the most endearing one, the one that everyone thinks of, though, is Ray Terrell, which is his son, which is the one that was famous all through the 90s. Uh, check out this pedigree created by Jack C. Harris, uh, who famously is the editor who created helped co-create Firestorm, and Joe Quesada, the chief editor-in-chief at Marvel for a million years. Those are the two guys that created Ray Terrell. Uh, and later on, the solo series gets done by Christopher Priest and Howard Porter. So he's got quite a pedigree of interesting creators. And, and the short version is, from a very short young age, Ray Terrell does not know he's the son of the Ray at all. He is told by this guy that supposedly is his father that exposure to direct sunlight will kill him. So he's privately tutored in a, in a darkened house. All the windows are blacked out, everything. And the media gets a hold of this, and they dub him the Night Boy. He's like all up in you know, people talking about him. Anyway, at age 18, he learns the truth, which is, that, of course, the sun activates his ray powers. And it goes from there. And it really was, it was a great, great series of stories. Really cool teenage hero, an exceptionally cool look. Because Casada designed it. He just looks awesome. Uh, now, his own adventures, uh, Christopher Priest especially, it was early in his career. He got a little caught up in too much in his own continuity. He got a little too much sometimes. But overall, great freaking character. And he has joined just about every single team in the DC Universe. Obviously, uh, this version, Ray Terrell joins the Freedom Fighters. He joined Justice League America during the uh, Funeral for a Friend kind of era. He joins Justice League Task Force. He joins Young Justice. He later joins Justice League of America. Uh, and then he was labeled as a JSA revert, reservist. Uh, technically, though, when he, he was a JSA reservist, I think that was just because he was part of the Freedom Fighters is how that worked. Famously, he slept with Black Canary, uh, a very famous thank you, Mrs. Robinson kind of thing. Uh, she was going through a bad period. Uh, then in 2016, during DC Rebirth, they reworked the character again. And this time, it, it's still Ray Terrell and still essentially the same with his powers, but they made him openly gay. Which is a pretty big change, especially since Ray's girlfriends were a big, big part of his earlier Ray stories. But I read them, and it really works well. It, it works very, very well in the story, and I think it's a perfectly acceptable change. I, it's not, some people don't like retcons. This one didn't bother me at all. Then, and this is where it blew my mind, in 2017, he's on television. He's part of the Crisis on Earth X crossover. Uh, he's played by an actor named Russell Tovey, who was in some Doctor Who stuff. Uh, and in this story, uh, he ends up in a romance with the Earth X version of Captain Cold. Uh, Leo Snart. 
And then I didn't even know this part until I started researching for this show uh, today. There's an animated series in 2017 called Freedom Fighters The Ray. Uh, I I hope that was shock I just heard in your voice. I I had no idea that existed at all. I didn't either. It was specifically designed to tie in with this crisis on Earth X. It actually aired on the CW Seed, which no one even knows exists unless they're looking for old shows. But anyway, so this Freedom Fighters, The Ray, it was 12 episodes across two seasons. They were very, very, very short episodes. And now, uh, I believe it's on HBO Max, uh, but you can also get on Amazon Prime to rent as like one movie. And in fact, I'm like halfway through it right now. I was watching it last night. It's pretty good. I mean, there's some amazing Freedom Fighter stuff in there because it's got The Ray, it's got Black Condor, it's got Phantom Lady, it's got man and they're fighting the crap out of some nazis on earth x um it's got the arrow versus bad guys too so it's got like the nazi supergirl the nazi uh arrow the nazi flash but really entertaining i I haven't again i haven't got to the end so i don't know if it's gonna uh, hang together as a story because it really is 12 episodes strong as a movie i don't know but anyway i'm enjoying the heck out of it Mm -hmm. so altogether ray terrell has appeared in something like 230 comics uh which blew my mind so have you had any exposure to the ray not really. I know. Remember in um in Kingdom Come, he's in that, and he's like a, he's like really powerful. Like they uh-huh. really ramped up his power in that one. So that that's really mainly familiar. Yeah, I have that. And I remembered the reboot and they gave him that big vest where he looked like he was a member of Jackson Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation. I remember. That. Oh my gosh! Um, but, <laughs> it looks know, cool. That's outside of that. No, I don't have a whole lot of familiarity with him. He's a great. He's very much in like the Peter Pucker Peter Peter. Peter Pucker, Peter Parker, uh, mold of he can't win kind of teenage hero. Everything goes wrong. Uh, he's always trying. He's got a lot of power, a lot of power to turn into light and fly to light speed. I mean, just super powerful, but it's just, you can't help but like the guy. He's really great. And that look with the fin on his head, it looks totally boss. Mm. So I'm a big, big fan of the character. And I, I feel really strongly that as they move towards possible JSA relaunches, and, and there is a lot of talk about a JSA relaunch very near in the future, I think the Ray should be rolled into the JSA permanently. And I know I know how you work, Rob. Every time I suggest doing this, you're always like, you're breaking apart families. You can't do that. He's part of the Freedom Fighters. I know you're thinking that. Um, Where are you getting this from? But all right. Oh, when I when we did that Justice League Detroit episode, I suggested pulling people from like the Challengers of the Unknown and the Metal Men. You're like, you got all whiny. Anyway, a lot of people do feel no, the Roy the Ray belongs in the Freedom Fighters. But keep in mind the Freedom Fighters were not a golden age concept. They were created as a retcon. Yeah, they were created in 1973, not in the Golden Age. You know, it wasn't until these JLA issues. And then they've tried to relaunch the Freedom Fighters over and over and over. It never takes. Heck, even that first successful one in the 1970s didn't, wasn't very popular. It didn't do. And, and this is where you and I had a little bit of a difference earlier about Uncle Sam. I think the problem is Uncle Sam, that I don't think you can make Uncle Sam work as a character nowadays unless you're doing a commentary on patriotism in the government in the United States. You can tell a Captain America story about patriotism, sure, because he's not so closely linked to the government. But I feel like Uncle Sam with the ties to the U.S. military, I, just, I think it has to be tied to the government. So that's my take on that. And then um, finally, it, you know, as far as Ray going to the JSA, I mean, think about it. Jesse Quick or Liberty Bell, same character. Both of them, or her, she was accepted as a core member of the modern JSA. And neither of her parents were ever in the JSA. They were all-star squadron members. So if she can be a full-timer, I don't see why the Ray can't. And he's a great character, and he deserves to be rescued and bring back into the mainstream. That's my pitch. That's my TED Talk. <laughs> 
So I love the Ray. And again, I know I sort of co-opted the uh, JSA spotlight to talk a lot, a lot, a lot about it, but I can't help how much I love him. And, oh, by the way, if you want more on the Ray, you should listen to the uh, Never Ending Reading Pile uh, podcast over on the Pulta Pixel. Uh, Je- uh, Greg and Sean just recently talked about a Ray annual. It was a great discussion. They did a really, really good job. So check that out. All right, Rob, why don't we take a quick podcast from a break? And we come back, we will cover y'all's feedback in Views from Earth Prime. Welcome, one and all, to the Fire and Water Racetrack and Arena. Please direct your attention to the center of the track, where you will see 36 buses lined up between two ramps, a tank full of live man-eating sharks, and a high wire stretching over it all. The rocket cycle is warmed up and all the nets have been removed. Who would attempt these stunts just to entertain and inspire his audience? What kind of man? What kind of hero? There, coming in on a rocket-powered skateboard, it's the death-defying human flycast! Join me, Max Romero, and a rotating roster of guests as we dive headfirst into the colorful comics of Marvel's The Human Fly. The death-defying Human Flycast is a limited episode podcast spotlighting the adventures of a man who comes back from a crippling auto accident to become a mysteriously masked stuntman with a mission to inspire others to never give up hope. We'll also talk about the real-life Human Fly, a daredevil with a murky past and a desire to be the best stuntman in history until the day he just disappeared. The actual Human Fly would vanish as suddenly as he had materialized, but not before sparking a comic series featuring what would be the wildest superhero ever, because he was real. The Death Defying Human Flycast. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. It's gonna be wild. All-Star Squadron Podcast. Join your hosts, Billy D. And Herman, as we take a deep dive into the seminal DC comic series created by Roy Thomas and Rich Buckler. We'll be covering the series issue by issue, spotlighting our favorite characters. And talking about the historical tie-ins as well. So join us every month in... A World on Fire and All-Star Squadron podcast. Coming in December 2020 to a podcatcher near you. for views from earth prime this is where we do your feedback from crisis number two now remember we do focus solely on the comments from our website itunes reviews and emails and such folks and please do consider going out and leaving us an itunes review or apple podcast whatever they call it nowadays it really does help raise the profile of the show it helps find people find the community we've already got some out there but you know hey leave a few more and we would appreciate our leave a star rating anything helps to raise the profile of the show rob why don't you start us off with the feedback all right our first comment is from gord tolton who hosts 
Prairie Justice, the Greg Sanders. Oh, wait, excuse me. Prairie Justice, the Greg Sanders Vigilante Podcast. Uh, <laughs> I love he it. Says, uh, he says, great episode. Thanks to Dr. Ange for appearing. This story takes place in between ongoing plots in All-Star Comics, and in particular, All-Star 68 and 69. In 68, the JSA came to Earth 2 to rescue Green Lantern, Alan Scott, who is under the Psycho Pirate's control, and that's why he is there. I say this to speak to Shag's query on Wildcat's speech patterns. It was an unraveling plot thread. In All-Star 63, Wildcat had been captured by the Icicle and frozen solid. He was rescued and thought out in All-Star 66, and suddenly he was doing the da's and do's. Nobody brought it up or seemed to notice. That carried on until All-Star 72, when he suddenly collapsed and was in medical peril. Power Girl mentioned that she thought he was just punch drunk, but in fact, he'd been affected by the freezing. That led to another plot thread where the hunters had to retrieve the Icicle's pistol from the JSA trophy room so that the doctors could study it in order to treat Wildcat. When he got out of the acute care, his speech patterns had been corrected. All that never would have happened had Dr. Ange been on the scene. <laughs> I have read all of those JSA stories in All-Star Comics and then when it went off into World's Finest and maybe an issue or two in Detective, I don't remember. I didn't remember any of that. I don't remember any of that at all. It's that's not amazing. Like this, that that was it's, it's not like this even jogged my memory. It's like gone. I don't remember that at all. So that's great. Thank you, Gord. I really appreciate that information. That is a, that is a deep dive. Gus Casals from the Alfred Pennyworth Presents podcast and the Legion 60 Years Later podcast. I, signing up here to add my voice to the How Great Was Dick Dillon Choir. As mentioned during the podcast, many a time I have opened one of these issues, got completely frustrated by the story, but stared at the pictures for hours. As a 70s child, my on-model JLA is Dillon's as much as the Legion is Grell. I like and enjoy the other creators more, but they are the model. Fair that's enough. that's great, you know. And we we probably didn't praise Dick Dillon enough when we covered this issue by these two issues, by the way. That Dick Dillon always exceptional. The fact that he drew it for what like ten years or something 10 like that. Ten years straight. Ten yeah. years. No, twelve years straight. Jeez, twelve years straight. Missed Wait. one issue in twelve years. That's amazing. We we we, we gonna uh, we're, we're not even there yet. So he's already ahead of us with our podcast. He's did more than that. So I mean, the guy is amazing, and it's so dynamic and so exciting, and uh, even in, in these issues as well. So I absolutely love him, and he's a real treasure. So we're we're lucky to have him. Absolutely. Uh, Matt Saroy says, "Huzzah! More epic adventures of the JLA and JSA with an assist by the LOSH. I love it. This was a fun pair of comics. It shows you can still enjoy something even if you don't absolutely love it." <laughs> sure, those books could be goofy and off the wall, but they're still fun. Thanks for another great episode. Rob, I, too, spent a long time building a complete run of the original JLA. For me, it stalled out with the 100 pages that ran from 110 to 116. It took me almost as long to collect those seven issues as it took me to collect every other issue. It was a friend of mine that actually picked up the last one I needed when he brought back 115 from a trip to San Diego Comic-Con. That's pretty cool. That's a good friend. Uh, yeah. on, a, on, a, on a separate thing, in my previous comment, I separated Joy, Shag, and from the Rob, simply because the first letter in each word was JSA. No disrespect for you. I didn't so, take it as such, man. Oh, no, no, no. Well, I specifically called it out last time and tried to needle you, saying, oh, no, look, he's, he's complimenting me and not you. And I, I try to make a big deal of it. Thanks for coming back and ruining that. I really appreciate that, Matt. Thanks, uh. Matt. Thank you. <laughs> you know, interesting about Justice League. You know, everyone's got their sort of own Justice League collecting story. You know, for me, I, I went for a long time trying to collect all of them. Uh, and my run, I also struggled. My run starts with 100 pages around there. I, my first issue uh, that's uh, ongoing, like a complete run, I have from 111 all the way up to the end of 261 and on through 
gosh, far into the new 52, really. But, and before that, it was spotty. I didn't have every issue. So what I did was I ended up buying all the, uh, the first volumes of the, uh, six volumes of the archives at 50 freaking dollars a pop. And then I bought the essentials so that I could have, uh, I felt like I could say, okay, I now have every issue of JLA, you know, either in original or reprint form. So I had to like reprint up to 111 and then from there on. So everyone's got kind of their JLA collecting story, I think, with so many years of history there. All right, then we're here from Liz Ann Oswald, who has her own YouTube channel. Uh, Liz wrote in to say, Power Girl hitting on Superman was weird. I'm not sure what to add. I'm a warped person, but I look at this and go, no, just no. <laughs> Thank you, Liz. Appreciate that. Then we're here from Bradley Null, who says, this is where it starts for Bradley Man. Uh, my dad bought me these two issues of the Justice League because we couldn't find the Super Friends. And that was the team's other name in the cartoon. Reading material for my first plane trip, uh, somewhere over the Midwest, my eight-year-old self fell in love and became a fan of superheroes, time travel, and space wizards in general. My love for Alan Scott, Brainiac 5, and the JSA all come from this issue. That's awesome. Well, thanks so much for sharing, Bradley. Dr. Ange, of course, our guest on that episode, he does the Supergirl blog comic book commentary, and he's on the member of the Legion of the Super Bloggers. He says, wondering if the worst teammate should be called the 4F Award, the designation for being unfit to be drafted. Uh, which I like a lot. And then he says, I also still prefer the ass award. <laughs> You're a medical professional. You should be above such, such jokes. I, I love all these things, but, but I think we've officially decided that the Johnny Thunder participation award has it. Yeah, I like it. Uh, Devin Clancy says, Earth to Rob sounds great considering he started operating back in the 40s as host of the Fire and Water Hour and augmented Firebrand radio show. I remember that. Uh, now the question is, is it Rod or Dan, uh, Danny? I, uh, Danny's the hotter one, I have to say. Pun intended. Firebrand. Get it? I got it. Uh, Chris, Franklin, Chris Franklin from our network hosts many shows. Uh, he says, uh, fun shows. I'm glad Dick Dillon got a lot of love here. He was one of those stalwart guys who adapted a bit of Neil Adams into his style as the 70s progressed, much like Irv Novick, and it really clicked. But his women were always gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And he was very underrated in that regard, and I'm glad you brought that up, too. My personal favorite JLA-JSA team-up is the SSOSV one Rob mentioned, but Crisis on Earth Prime is great, too. The worst, that Carrie Bates, Elliot S. Magan one. I know those guys are having fun, but it reads as way too indulgent and inside baseball for a JLA-JSA crossover. Even with Earth 2 Robin in it prominently in his Batman suit to boot, it still ranks the lowest for me. Yeah, it's it's going to take a real arm twisting to get me to cover that one anytime soon. I mean, the goal is to do them all, but yeah, that one's not not high on the list at all for me either. All right, uh, up next is NetMinistrator, who runs a blog called DC Multiverse, Earth 1, Earth 2. Writes in to say, enjoying your analysis of these JSA, JLA team-ups. Rob, please note, he put JSA slash JLA team-ups. He did it correctly. Rob always puts JLA first. Anyway. It's their book. I don't care. Enjoying your analysis of these JSA, JLA team-ups. Hope you get to review the seven soldiers of Seek. I'm sorry, Seven Soldiers and Secret Society three-parters. Uh, you know, we have covered the Secret Society one already. We haven't done Seven Soldiers, and I have a strong interest in doing that, by the way, which we'll talk about in a minute, uh, as well as the Squadron of Justice three-parter. What is this guy? What is Squadron of Justice? You're going to have to refresh my memory. I don't remember that. I'm blanking on that at the moment, too. Okay. All right. Uh, again, there was the Earth. Oh, we talked about Dr. Fate. It says, again, there was an Earth One Dr. Fate. Please see World's Finest 201, and he didn't get along with the original. Oh, all right. Cool. Something we have to check out. 
Therefore, little Russell Burbage from the Legion of Superbloggers, Friends of Justice and more. Russell says, this is one of my least favorite JLA, JSA team-ups because it is so all over the place. Because the Legion really has nothing to do in the story. And by the way, folks, if you know if Russell doesn't like a Legion story, it's got to be pretty rough. Then he goes on to say, 20-some potential members and Brain 85 and Sunboy disappear in the second part. Give me an effing break. <laughs> Thank you, Russell. There from DC Dave, he says, I love you guys, so I'm happy to hear these episodes. He says, the Power Girl ickiness reminds me of that scene in the CW's Crisis crossover where Supergirl sees the Brandon Ralph Superman and thinks it's Ray Palmer. She starts to flirt with him when the Tyler, Ho- uh, I can't say this guy's name, Tyler Hoekland, whatever, uh, the Superman guy. Uh, he starts shaking his head in a no, 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 that's me, your cousin sort of motion. <laughs> and then DC Dave says, I'm looking forward to your eventual coverage of Crisis on Earth Prime from JLA 207 to 209 and All-Star Squadron 14 to 15. That was my first exposure to the multiverse as an 11-year-old, a bit of a diving in the deep end, but love, love, love those books and maybe a lifelong fan of DC and the multiverse. Well, Dave, a couple things there uh, about Crisis on Earth Prime. I'm glad you brought it up. First of all, that is probably like my favorite uh, of the crossovers. It is so awesome. So many great characters. It's, it's amazing. It was also my first big, uh, first one where I was paying attention as a collector. Let's put it that way. I had already seen like the death of Mr. Terrific and stuff like that. But this is the first one I sought out. It was all because of the cover dress, you know, with all the little heads. Now, the thing is, Rob and I did cover Crisis on Earth Prime probably 10 years ago. Something um, like that, yeah. I, I actually think it may have actually been 10 years ago when we first got started. And but the plan is we are going to do it again uh, here on this show. It's going to be a little while. We don't want to do it anytime soon because we have done it before. And we also want to find a little bit of a different angle to come at it than we did last time. Uh, I mean, certainly a decade in between readings is there's, there's going to be different opinions anyway. But we just want to try and take a different take at it. So it's going to come. It's going to happen. And we will love it. But it, it, it'll be a little while. Then we heard from Al Girding. He says, I vote for the worst member per issue to be called the Red Tomato Award. This is what they call the Red Tornado in All-Star number three when she ripped her britches. That's pretty funny. That's a good one, Al. And then he says, my first JSA experience was All-Star Comics number 64 from 1977. The first panel explains so much of my fandom. Earth 2 Superman, Our Man, Star Spangled Kid, Power Girl. Love, 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 love this issue. And he says, my favorite JSA-JLA crossover, notice he did it properly too, my favorite JSA-JLA crossover was Justice League of America number 195 to 197, Superman number 2, Our Man, George Perez, the art is as good as comics will ever get. And finally, he ends his comment with just two words, as every comic should end, he ends it with Red B. Perfect. (laughs) Thank you, Al. Raphael York says, I think the underperforming teammate award should be named after, or at least be a reference to the worst member of the JSA, the Johnny Thunder Award. Or the Say You Award. So, Raphael, yeah, we're all on the same page. Yep, absolutely. It, it, yeah, I liked the Say You Award. That gave me pause. So I did. I liked thinking about it. But the, the participation is what blew it, took it over the top for me. Johnny Thunder Participation Award. There from Joe X, he says, did the recreated JLA satellite at the end of the storyline end up as Medicus 1 in Legion of Superheroes? Uh, Paul Levitt says no, but his memory is self-admittedly less than perfect. Yeah, I wondered about that. When the JLA satellite pops up and exists in the 30th century, I'm like, what's it going to do there? Um, so Medicus 1 would make a lot of sense. Then uh, Joe says, I love both the silver suit and the bug-headed outfits of Zatanna uh, as her attempt at superhero costuming before giving up and just wearing her stage outfit. I, you're not wrong. That bug-headed suit, uh, maybe again because it was drawn by Paris Collins the first time I ever saw it, was Woo, you know, had to turn on the air conditioner after that. Uh, yeah, I love that bucket. It's, it's my favorite. <laughs> I'm leaving that alone. Martin Gray from the <laughs> Too Dangerous for a Girl blog says, a tremendous show from our own answer to the Demons 3. 
took me a second to understand what Martin was talking about. I remember being disappointed by this team up, but I just it just didn't feel momentous enough for the first meeting between the LSH and the JLA and the JSA. I wanted to see the two contemporary teams visit the 30th century and be awed, their environs, amazed by the size and diversity of the Legion. Instead, we have the heroes spending a lot of time controlled by baddies and never see any actual socializing involving the 30th century's greatest super teens. Poor Jay Garrett, taken over by a villain during a JLA's JSA team-up. Let's hope that never happens to him again. <laughs> I, I love that the interdimensional transport needs an hour to warm up. Couldn't they have put Red Tornado into it? <laughs> as, as this issue proves, apparently that's not possible. <laughs> it didn't test it on enough animals, apparently. Right, right. Uh, wow. Uh, Hill Terry says, oh, yeah, this was not my first JLA-JSA crossover, but it was the first I bought the entirety of. The previous year I got uh, part one only. I'm glad that Gord already addressed the Wildcat dialogue above. Thanks, Gord. I was still a relatively new comics reader, but I was buying each of the three teams' books, so I had some familiarity with the characters. Recently in LSH, Wildfire had been elected leader, despite Superboy getting more votes, and Superboy was less than gracious in defeat. Uh, <laughs> nevertheless, I was team Superboy, as he was the reason I was buying the book. It wasn't Wildfire and Legion of Superheroes, Ange. The dialogue of the Legion in these JLA issues reflect that. <laughs> Wildfire and the Legion of Superheroes. Um, yes, it's kind of a mess of a story, but it's a lot of fun. I've read interviews with Steve Engelhardt about his run on JLA where he dismisses these issues as being written by an editor. I can understand that Pascoe and Levitz would have lobbied Julie Schwartz to write this team up. The previous year, they included the Fawcett characters, Earth S. Three years earlier, the quality characters, Earth X, of course, is what we're talking about here. And it's easy to imagine a planning session that about included the Legion. Uh, Levitz is one of the writers of the Legion and the writer of the JSA, and Pasco was a veteran of the JLA in previous crossovers. It fits into Engelhardt's run because of the whole adventure takes between two and three hours on one day. JSA comes to Earth-1 to capture Psycho Pirate. Go to the Jelly Sully, turn home, takes an hour for the Transmara to warm up. Bernard turns it off because he enjoys socializing with the JSA and knows that's the kind of story Rob wants to read. Then, <laughs> then Morphew grabs a bunch of JLA or JSAers, drags them through time. Then the JLA-JSA goes back to where they started, maybe five minutes after they left. Meanwhile, on Earth-1, Carter and Cheryl Hall are trying to arrange a lunch with Mark Shaw, Starsar is planning a caper, and Red Tornado is taking stock of what's new in the world since he's been destroyed. It can fit. It's too bad that Nankhart didn't write a standalone JLA-JSA crossover as an inventory story. Finally, Florida Man by Choice and Buddy Ciencaville native have a lot of gall throwing shade at the social moors of Earth 2. At least their <laughs> South Africa was an integrated nation in the 1970s. Ouch! Uh, that's that, that's a fair hit. That's a fair hit. New Jersey and Florida. Uh, we we don't have we don't have a lot of room to complain. <laughs> Ward, Ward packed a lot into that comment. <laughs> that was almost uh, Diablo Frank worthy. Uh, Ward Hill Terry. So all right, then we heard from Symbol Pending, who runs a Power Girl blog. Uh, called Symbol Pending. They write, in one of these weird acts of synchronicity, I just covered these issues. Seems I picked up most of the same points independently, I add, including the icky flirting of Power Girl with her not-quite-cousin. At least Supergirl wasn't there or things would have gotten really weird. And that's saying something for these bonkers little issues. I'd be remiss if I didn't point out that Power Girl was somehow immune to the demon's powers due to her youthful stamina. It's also Dinah and Power Girl that have the ideas on how to defeat the final demon. Those the others that carry the plan out, though. That's interesting. That's a fair point. The ladies are the ones who are the smart ones who come up with the plans of the issue. Although it got creepy because I remember like Superman and Batman kissing on Black Canary and stuff. It got weird. All right. Then Master Villain. I love the name. Wrote in to say, hi, Shag, Rob, and Dr. Ange. I love this episode. I'm pretty sure that JLA 147 was my first ever Justice League comic and probably one of the first half dozen comics that I owned as a kid. 
what a first issue. This was my introduction to both the JLA and the JSA. I can still remember wondering who was Power Girl when she was first introduced. Why is she so drawn to Superman? Is she as strong as he is? This was also my introduction to Earth 1 and Earth 2. It only took a couple of panels. Certainly not too hard to follow for this eight-year-old. In fact, it was a fascinating concept that I instantly fell in love with. Two Earths? Two Flashes? But the Supergirl of the other Earth is actually a grown-up Power Girl? Okay, I get it now. What a cool idea. Count me on the side of those who think the crisis on infinite earth was a big mistake. However well executed it was. It goes on to say that huge panel of the giant hand pulling the JLAers and JSAers forward a thousand years in time is permanently etched into my mind's eye. This is how you do big scale cinematic superhero action. And of course the little caption boxes with the names of all the heroes were really helpful. And as I often say, every issue is someone's first. And they made sure that this new reader could follow along no matter how complicated it got. And he says, issue 147 will always be my most cherished comic. Uh, I'm sorry, one of my most cherished comics. Still have a beat-up original copy, which I must have read a hundred times as a kid. Thanks for doing it justice on your show. I could tell that you guys didn't love it as much as I did, but you brought out all the highlights of the story and treated it with respect. And it sounds like you got some genuine enjoyment out of it, which was really satisfying to hear. You can never praise Dick Dillon's art enough in my book. Much appreciated, and I'm looking forward to more. Oh, thank you, Master Villain. You know, he's far too nice for a supervillain. But, you know, hey, I guess it's one of those things where, uh, what do we call it, when you're named and you have to live up to your name. Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, Then we're from Siskoid from, of course, the Fire and Water Podcast Network. does, like, zero-hour strikes, give me this Star Trek, a whole bunch more. He says, oh, God. He says, like more, Drew, I've also struggled with trapped gas. Oh, my gosh. And then uh, this is all play on the Demons 3 guys. Then Warfield Terry writes in, also, like Mordrew, I have released trapped gas with horrible consequences. You know, Shag, you didn't have to highlight either one of those comments to read. <laughs> but fart humor is always funny. It doesn't matter how old you are. Uh, and then just a little bit of name checking. We got some nice comments from folks uh, like Damian Drowett Whiter from Should I Love This Comic Podcast, Paul Hicks from Waiting for Doom, DCOCD, and more, and Rob McCarthy. Thank you guys for your comments as well. Now, remember, folks, go out to our website, which is firewaterpodcast.com slash JSA Presents. Leave your comments there. That's where most of the action is going on. That's also where we're pulling most of these feedback sections. So if you want to be heard here, go there or send us an email or uh, give us, leave us a review on iTunes. That's how you mention the show. Of course, you can also find us on Facebook. It's the Fire and Water Podcast Network. On Twitter, uh, it's, of course, the Fire and Water Podcast Network. But we also have the Justice Society Presents Twitter handle, which is uh, JSA Presents. And you can email us at justicesocietypresents at gmail.com. Now, here's something exciting, folks. If you're happy about having another issue of JSA Presents, guess what? You're getting another one next week. Can you believe it? That's right. We've got another JSA Presents coming next week. And Rob's got the week off. Uh, but I have gotten together with our buddy Sean Ross. And we're going to talk about the Stargirl Spring Break special, which was absolutely glorious. I loved it. It pushed me way out there on a massive binge on the Seven Soldiers of Victory. I busted out my Golden Age archives. I'm reading some of those. Rob, it's got me interested in covering those JLA crossover issues pretty soon. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm digging it. And, folks, that is your homework. If you have not picked up the Stargirl Spring Break special, please go to your store, buy it, go out to Comixology, buy it digitally, whatever. I, I don't buy new comics, okay? I just don't. So I did not really particularly want to read this. I didn't have a lot of expectation on it. I loved this comic. It is such a joy. Uh, I cannot recommend it highly enough. If you ever love Jeff Johns, JSA, if you ever love Young Justice, any of that stuff, definitely dive in. You will not be disappointed. So I guess that's going to do it, buddy. All right. Okay. So, folks, until next time, join the fight for justice. With his army of evil on the march, 
Her Degaton appears to have time on his side. But when duty calls, they answer, bringing the fight for freedom to the front lines. They are the mystery men and women known as the Justice Society of America.